Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris. This podcast is designed to hold space for honest conversations. From purity culture to faith, sexuality, relationships, identity, culture, deconstruction, and more. My hope is to look doubt in the face, be curious, seek God, and ask meaningful questions to address any elephant in the room with openness, nuance, and grace. I won't pretend to be an expert and definitely don't have all the answers. And though it may feel easier and more comfortable to exist in the black and white, I invite you to discover God with me in the gray and unexpected spaces. So whoever you are, whatever you do or don't believe, you are welcome here and have a seat at this table. Make sure you're subscribed to the Refined Collective Podcast on iTunes. So each week when a new episode drops, it'll download straight to those devices. And while you're at it, if you feel so inclined, leave us a five-star rating and written review. It would be so helpful to get our message out there. All right, let's go ahead and get to it. Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris, and a special thank you and shout out to Newsstand Studio here today for sponsoring, producing, editing my loud voice week in and week out. Thank you so much for all of your support. If you want to follow up with Newsstand Studio and Rockefeller Center in New York City, check them out on Twitter at RockCenterNYC or on Instagram at Rockefeller Center. Here's the thing that I didn't know about Rockefeller Center in New York before I started working with them is they are doing incredible free activations and experiences and surprise and delights every single week for people because they want to serve the people of New York and the tourists as well. So I'm biased because I love them so much. But if you're in New York, go to 30 Rock, check them out, visit Top of the Rock, best view in the city. They're incredible. All right. Now, I also want to thank my Patreon community. Patreon, y'all are the freaking bomb.com. For the past few months, I have been hosting free online group coaching calls for all of my Patreon community. And it's just been so sweet. We get together on a Tuesday night and I feel like it's building this community that I've wanted to have here for so long. And we're doing it together. So yes, it's me coaching, but it's also people are like, oh, you live in Charlotte? I live in Charlotte. Do you want to hang out sometime? So if that sounds fun and interesting to you, if you want to get deeper into some of these topics that we're talking about on the podcast and on Instagram, come join Patreon. It's patreon.com slash The Refined Collective. It's $5 to join and it's $5 a month. So that's like a cup of coffee. Also, you can watch my podcasts on video a week before they go live on iTunes in Patreon, ad-free and edit-free. So you get all the bloopers, all the behind the scenes. So they're super fun. If that sounds exciting to you, you can watch next week's episode today. On to today's episode. Today's guest, the I'm going to start calling her our in-house <laughs> sexologist. <laughs> this is her third time being on the podcast, Dr. Celeste Holbrook. She was on episode 161, where she talked about purity culture, painful sex, and debunking shame narratives. Episode 168, Sex Ed 101, 
which was honestly one of my favorite episodes and one of y'all's favorite episodes too. (laughs) She answered questions like, what is squirting? What is the difference between STI versus an STD? Are blue balls a thing? Should you be going to the OBGYN even if you're not sexually active? And so many more questions. So we'll link both of those episodes in the show notes if you want to check those out. But she's back today and we're back at it because we want to talk with you more about sex ed, sex ed 101. So what I did was I gathered questions from you on Instagram and ugh, I just love you guys so much. You guys just ask the best, most amazing, <laughs> vulnerable questions. We're just going to get to the nitty gritty. We're going to talk about sex. So Dr. Celeste Holbrook, welcome back. Thanks, Kat. I just want you to know, and I want all your listeners to know that Kat is amazing in person as, as much as she is on this podcast, because <laughs> we know each other pretty well now. And I just yeah. want you guys to know that she's awesome. <laughs> Aw, thanks. I think you're welcome. You're awesome. Aww. And I love when you are randomly in Austin and are like, do you want to hang out? And I'm like, yes, yes. right yes. now, whatever you're doing, I will come. I love it. It's such an awesome thing to have, you know, everybody has that friend who's like up for anything. You're kind of like that friend. I'm like, Kat, let's go do have drinks right now. And you're like, okay, let me put my, I think you were like in your pajamas. You're like, let me go put my clothes back on. We'll go for drinks. I was like, yes, yes. And sometimes people have asked me, are you a seven on the Enneagram? And I'm actually not, but I do. I'm I'm down for the adventure. I'm down for the fun. Yeah. I love that about you. Nice. Love that. (laughs) Also, okay, you and I are relaunching our Sex Ed Workshop series. Yes. I'm so thrilled. So thrilled. We had such a good time last time, didn't we? We It was so fun to meet uh, meet on a regular schedule and talk Mm -hmm. about sex in more depth. You know, we're going to talk about it today, but we're going to kind of lightly cover all of these things where the workshops, we allow ourselves to go more in depth, which is awesome. Yeah. They're super fun. So we did it for the first time last fall. I was like, Celeste, I feel like I want to do a sex ed workshop because Mm -hmm. I'm like, Part of it, and you and I talked about this, was when I turned 36 last year, I realized I have no idea what to do with a condom. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I felt like shame about that. And then Mm -hmm. I went back and looked through my story and thought, man, I never, ever received proper sex ed from home, from school. The only thing I learned from the church was don't do it until you're married. And now that I'm in my mid thirties, I'm like, there's just things that I need to know and that I want to know. And it's not shameful. And so we did a three-part sex ed workshop series last fall. Like so many people came. <laughs> yeah, we were, we were actually su- surprised. I think, I mean, I was like, wow, this is, you know, really hitting a, a nerve with people. So that's kind of, yeah. kind of think why we're offering it again, because yeah. we know that people really want this information. And I'm glad you bring that up, Kat, about how you know, you kind of reach this age where you're like, you know, I'm, I've kind of addressed the shame that I feel around sex, but, but now I kind of have this other shame around, like, am I the only one who hasn't had sex or Mm -hmm. am I the, like, I just don't know that much. And I think that's a very common feeling that I see in my clients and people of like a secondary shame of not having sex or not having information about sex, Mm -hmm. you know? So yeah, I'm really glad that you bring that up. I feel like the thing, the conundrum that I've been in in the last few years is, you know, in my 20s, it was like, I'm doing things God's way. I'm Mm -hmm. saving sex until marriage and yay. And now I'm like, 
if I'm about to be the 40-year-old virgin, I'm going to be so upset. And <laughs> and it, it goes from being like, man, I'm so proud that I've like held my convictions to seriously, this sucks. And you're mm-hmm. right. It is a secondary shame. I hadn't thought about mm-hmm. it in that terminology, but there's uh-huh. this part of me that's been like, wow, like I have been my word to myself, which I am proud of. And I also feel like shame. Yeah. And entering into pretty neutral sexual experiences and even in dating because I'm like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. I'm like real good at making out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is a great also. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. So we just want to like normalize this conversation and starting mm-hmm. April 19th, we're going to be offering our sex ed workshop series again. So yeah. you can go to the link in the show notes and sign up for that. Learn more about that. But I just want to ask you this. Why do you think sex ed is important? Oh, that's such a good answer. Or why is it a high value for you? We've probably talked about my story some on your podcast, but long story short, I really do believe sex ed saved my relationship is Mm. the long and short of it, Um, is because sex was really hard for me the first time I had it. And it was due to a lack of sex ed and negative sex messaging. And that's the reason sex was difficult for me. And so the first year of my marriage, really struggling with shame and embarrassment and anger. And when I started studying sex and gave myself more information and started unwinding from some negative messages, sex education saved me, like it saved Mm -hmm. my relationship. And so that's for me very personally, why sex Mm -hmm. ed is so important. Um, And then on a, like a, a, like a macro or bigger scale, sex ed is important because it is what helps us get pleasure out of sex Mm -hmm. and get connection out of sex. So knowing more about sex helps us get the pleasure and the connection that we want out of it. Mm, Yeah, that's so good. And even just thinking about my own experience or my own lack of sex ed, one of the reasons why it's been so powerful for me to learn sex ed and even just learn my own body, like reading books Mm -hmm. like Come As You Are or Slow Sex or She Comes First. I think I always thought it was a quote unquote sin to research about sex or know about sex or even know about my body before that time because there are verses thrown at me like, don't arouse or awaken love until it's time from, Uh I think that song of Solomon. Song of Solomon, yeah. And so I thought, oh my gosh, it's sinful to even think about it, look at it. And what I know in hindsight now is there are so many confusing and sticky situations that I allowed myself to get into with guys because I didn't know, oh, this means that? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, like... I remember in my 20s, a guy was like, oh, I want to give you a massage. And then he started like grinding and humping my back. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what is happening? Like, yeah. oh, yeah. like, oh, he was like yeah. trying to get off. And like, that's something I didn't know that I didn't know that that was a thing. Or a thing, right? we could have talked about, oh, this is something that I want to do or I don't want to do. And mm-hmm. what I have realize the cost that I've paid for not having sex ed is I've allowed myself to get into situations that I didn't want to be in. That's right. And I've said yes when I didn't mean yes. And I've said no when I didn't mean no. Mm -hmm. And I feel like as a 36-year-old, I am just beginning to strengthen a muscle of consent. 
in Mm -hmm. all areas of my life, like in the bedroom, outside the bedroom. And so I think one of the most important reasons why I want to be an advocate for sex ed now is to help women and men develop a muscle of consent so that you can approach any situation with informed and enthusiastic consent. Like, okay, on this date tonight, here's what I feel okay happening and here's what I don't want to happen. Whereas before I didn't have the language and it mm. felt embarrassing to talk about it. Or this is like not romantic. If you tell the person like, yeah. I I don't like, I don't like it when you kiss me like this. Mm-hmm. Or can we maybe try this instead? It just felt like you either have chemistry with someone or you don't. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, sex, physical intimacy, relationships. It's all about communication. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I'm glad you bring that up. Another example of that for me was when Nathan and I were first together on our, I don't, I forget which date he, we had our first kiss fairly soon, like second, maybe third, but he asked me, Hey, can I, would it feel comfortable for you if I kissed you? And I remember in that moment thinking like, why would you ask me that? Like that is kind of a turnoff to me. And oh my gosh, looking back, like looking back now, like how mature, how, Mm -hmm. how like lovely, how kind that he asked me before he kissed me, such a simple thing, but he knew far more about consent than I did at the time. Right. Yes. And I think you and I talked about this because I had an experience in the last year or so where a guy did that with me. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I'm like this feminist and I believe in consent and I talk about Mm -hmm. consent in my book. And then I have a guy just like Nate did to you ask, Hey, can I kiss you? And I was like, in my head, I was like, be a man, just like Mm -hmm. throw me against the wall and like Mm -hmm. make out with me, you know, like don't ask. That's like so unsexy. And it was this moment of awakening for myself where I realized, Oh, like I have where I'm at and I have who I say I am and there's a gap. Mm. And I judged him. I had like this like internal, what is it? Unacknowledged misogyny? What what yeah, is that? In, like internalized toxic masculinity. Yeah. Yes. Like he should, he should be a man. He should throw me up against the wall. Mm-hmm. But if he would have thrown you up against the wall and that's not what you wanted, what yeah. would you have thought? Like, oh my gosh, I'm scared. How awful. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if I want someone to, you know, push me against the wall or if I that's want him fine. just to kiss me, I can say, oh my gosh, thank you so much for asking that. You are like such a gentleman. Like, next time you don't have to, or, and I don't even know if that is even healthy because, you know, just because it's a yes today doesn't mean it's a yes tomorrow. So I think for me, it was after that experiencing, noticing in myself, there is still this internalized toxic masculinity and I am attracted to that. And that's not what I want to be attracted to. I want to celebrate men who are Mm -hmm. for consent and who are for like, Hey, I just want to go we're going as fast as the slowest person here, you know? Right. Whereas right. that hasn't historically been my experience with most sexual experiences. Like as the woman, I was taught, especially in Christian culture, hey, like I'm the one that slows the brakes. Yeah. I'm running You're this ship and I have to, you know, because boys will be boys and guys can't handle their sexuality. So I have to always be on my A game. I haven't been used to it when a guy wasn't like that. And when I experienced Mm -hmm. it, I was like, wow, like, why isn't he like just wanting to rip my clothes off when he was being respectful? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Oh, interesting. Exactly. Yeah. And I, and I want to point out too, that just because somebody's 
being cautious and giving you consent doesn't mean that you can't negotiate some of that power play like, hey, I want you to be a little rough or I Mm -hmm. want you to do this or can I be rough with you or Mm -hmm. things like that, which are all definitely okay, but they all are non-manipulated and very consensual, you know? Yeah. Mm, So good. Well, should we get into the questions? Let's do it. Number one question we got was, what's the definition of sex? Cat, do you want to answer this first? <laughs> sure. Yeah. I knew that was probably going to be your response. So my definition of sex, first of all, not to just toot my own book, but I talk about this for a whole entire chapter. Mm-hmm. I was always taught, or I don't know if I was taught this, or this is just what I internalized, was that mm-hmm. sex was penis and vagina. Mm-hmm. And that was a very convenient definition for me for a very long time as a Christian woman who was taught to save sex until marriage. Because mm-hmm. as long as I was not having penetrative vaginal intercourse, then I was, quote unquote, keeping my purity. Mm-hmm. And then when I started researching for my book, I started asking myself really hard questions like, what is sex? Am I really a virgin? I think for so long, I was on this high horse, like I'm a virgin and like everyone else is just a bad Christian and they're not doing it God's way. And then I started asking questions like, okay, well, is sex one act or is it like Peggy Orenstein talks about in her book, Girls and Sex, is it more of a pool of experiences? Mm -hmm. Do people who identify LGBTQ plus have sex? Mm-hmm. Or is sex monopolized by heterosexual cisgender couples? Uh, what if I am one of the almost 80% of vulva owners that can't climax internally? Climax and orgasm happening through clitoral stimulation. Does that mean I can't have a good, pleasurable sex life? What if my male partner or spouse is impotent? or going through a time where they can't get hard or something's happening. Can we not have sex? What is sex? So I had a conversation years ago with one of my friends. She waited until marriage to have sex and her and her husband got back from their honeymoon. And they both said to me, you know what, Kat, we realized on our honeymoon, it's all sex. All of it. Like all of it is sex because it's all about intimacy and connection. And I was like, screw you guys. <laughs> because <laughs> if I'm trying to like save sex until marriage, I'm not trying to save everything until marriage here, you know? Yeah. I'm not going to be the girl who like waits until the altar to have her first kiss. And so I didn't really internalize that. And then years later, I was hanging out with one of my guy friends who is gay. And he got back from a date. And I was like, how'd it go? He was like, oh, it was great. We had sex. And I was like, what did you guys do? Because I'm that friend. I'm like, tell me all the details. <laughs> and he goes, oh, we just fooled around and like gave each other hand jobs. Mm-hmm. And I was like, so that's sex? Yeah. He's like, it's all sex. And so here I have this like uber conservative on one side versus like my friend who at one point said, you know, sex is just like, I, sex is the same thing to me as holding someone's hand. So that's how casual it was for this person. And they're both saying the same thing. Mm -hmm. So I went through a whole thing where for me, I realized, wow, I do think sex is more of a pool of experiences. I think it is more about connection and intimacy and it doesn't have to center on the orgasm. Like is oral sex sex? 
Yeah. I do think it's all sex, which then puts me in a conundrum as a person who is still choosing to quote unquote, wait until marriage to have sex. When I look at all of that and I'm like, I'm not waiting for marriage for all of that. And I'm okay saying that. All that to say is, I think that we get to define what sex is and what sex isn't. And that might feel uncomfortable for someone who's like, oh, like I'm a black and white thinker. I'm like one plus one equals two. Like, tell me the rules. Mm -hmm. Tell me Mm -hmm. what I can do. Tell me what I can't do. (laughs) What did the Bible really mean? Like Mm -hmm. when it said, you know, save sex for marriage, like what is that, you know? And Mm -hmm. I think this is where we get to like use our discernment. We get to ask ourselves questions like, well, what is sex to me? Because something that my therapist said to me a while ago, he was like, why is it this arbitrary thing? You know, okay, so you're saving penis and vagina for sex. Like, what if one person, their primary thing is oral sex? What if they save that for marriage? Like, are they virgins? Like, he's like, who made you the, like, czar of virginity? (laughs) The czar of virginity. I was like, well, first of all, do you know who I am? (laughs) I wrote a book. (laughs) This is amazing. (laughs) That's how I approach that question. Do you have any thoughts as the sexologist? (laughs) Well, I think you answered it so beautifully. And I really don't have much to add to your definition of sex, that it's a pool of experience, like Dr. Orenstein says. And, you know, I think that it's important to give permission for you to want and not want certain behaviors. Like even outside of like a Christian context, there are behaviors that I want to do right now and some behaviors I don't want to do right now, or some behaviors I want to wait until I'm in a long-term relationship to do. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a very normalized thing to have happen, whatever your reason is for it. Like, uh, it's a little bit more emotional for me, or it's a little bit more intimate or a little more connective or whatever it is. I want to do it with somebody who uh, we have more of a commitment and that's okay. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. But as far as a definition of what those things are like, yeah, that it provides pleasure and intimacy um, and it feels arousing. It's probably on some level sex. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I always look at what's the question underneath the question Like, why am I wanting to define sex? Is it out of a place of curiosity or a fear of, I don't want to get it wrong? Like, how can I make sure I'm getting it right so I still have my seat at the table? And I think Mm. what I'm about to say is an uncomfortable thing for a lot of Christians to hear, but it's actually true. Like, what we do or do not do between our legs doesn't get us in or out of relationship with God. And that doesn't mean that what we do or don't do sexually doesn't matter. But I think in the church, primarily, we have made what we do sexually a salvation issue. And it's not. For me to say that as like, I'm the person who's like, wait, tell me what to do. I'm going to be the poster child. I'm going to do it right. Like, it's easy for me to say that, but it is uncomfortable for me to like actually receive that and be like, oh, actually like, I can uphold this like sexual ethic that I have and also realize it doesn't make me any better or worse of a Christian. God doesn't love me better or worse if I do or do not do certain things. Then God's love wouldn't be unconditional. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really, I think it's really helpful for a lot of people. It is harder. It's so much harder to be okay with the exploration instead of the certainty. Certainty is so sneaky. (laughs) Mm, Yeah. Right. Yeah. If I'm certain, then I can have like, it makes you think that 
everything's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. You feel safe in this yeah. certitude. Yeah. Mm. Or you feel in control and control is just an illusion. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. That's it right. Is. Come That's on. Right. All right. Yeah. So maybe, a, I don't know if this is a lighter question or not, but mm-hmm. next question, why is it so much easier and quicker for guys to come? Slash my question to that is, is that true? Right. So it, it's a great question. And I think it's nuanced and I'm not sure that there is clear answers and like, there's just not one reason. The first mm-hmm. thing that comes to mind is that that penis owners are typically allowed to masturbate and masturbate sooner and aren't shamed for it. So they, in turn, know their body and know that they how to touch it in order to make make an orgasm happen. Versus vulva owners typically are not encouraged to masturbate and therefore don't know how to you know touch themselves. Um, but a lot of vulva owners can come very quickly and multiple mm-hmm. times, right? So it's not across the board but it might just be a more like learned kind of thing. Um, so I don't know that there are specific, specific reasons for that. Um, physiologically, if that makes mm-hmm. sense, because the nerve endings, you have the kind of the same amount of nerve endings. Um, the penis has them in the shaft and the head of the penis, whereas the clitoris is mostly located in the glands clitoris. And so, you know, it's not like the, the, the nerves are different or something like that. It's just that mm-hmm. I think, probably penis owners have a a greater ability to learn how to do it quicker. Yeah. I think something that I've wondered is, well, A, I think men in the church are very shamed for masturbation, Mm -hmm. but there's also an assumption that they're doing it. Yeah. And whenever it's really approached from the pulpit or in my experience is that it's like, okay, guys, listen up. We're talking to the guys in the room because only guys... (laughs) touch themselves. Like the assumption I think in church culture is that it's like masturbation is bad, but that all guys do it. Mm -hmm. And so, whereas I have a lot of girlfriends who are like, oh my gosh, like I've never touched myself. Right. Whereas I was the girl that I grew up masturbating my whole life because it was very normalized in my home. Mm -hmm. And then I became a Christian and I was like, oh my gosh, I got to stop doing this terrible thing. And I'm the only girl I know doing it. Right. So I feel like, yeah, there is that aspect. Another thing that uh, comes to mind is when I read Emily Nagoski's book, Come As You Are. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole section about, she calls them our sexual breaks and our sexual accelerators. Mm -hmm. And so for men and women, like, but this book is for women and female sexuality. Like what are the things, identifying the things that really turn you on Mm -hmm. versus the things that really shut you down. Like a couple of years ago, I was going through so much stress, a huge family crisis. And I felt like dead sexually. Mm -hmm. And I was like, is there something wrong with me? (laughs) Like, and I then read that book, Come As You Are and realized, oh, like my breaks are like really sensitive. Sensitive. Some yeah. people have like super sensitive brakes. Some people have super sensitive accelerators and some people have a mixture of both. Because I think what people want to say is like, oh, well, guys are just physical. And so they're able to like separate emotion. And so they're going to come faster. Mm-hmm. Whereas like women are more emotional and they have to have that emotional connection before the physical pleasure. What do yeah. you think about that? Is there any case to that? I have mixed feelings about this. I 
first of all, I don't like stereotyping genders at all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I, yeah. It's, yeah. it's already uncomfortable for me to like yeah. say men are this way and women are that way because mm. it's just not true. And every, mm. every time you do that, somebody's going to feel left out. Mm. Like, so it's uncomfortable to, to make that kind of broad statement, uh, including that it feels really heteronormative. I think it goes back for me and, and remember I'm a behaviorist. So I'm always going to look at how people are formed behaviorally and environmentally. I think that penis owners are just typically given more room to be sexual there. You know, if we think about the people who had the power to write about sex from very early on, and we listened to these people who wrote about sex, they were all pretty much white penis owners And so we have this narrative around sex that from the beginning was through this one lens. And so we talk about how men have maybe higher, higher libido or whatever, or we talk about how women have lower libido, but we just don't talk about it in like, people have libido and neither is right or wrong, (laughs) you know? And libido changes during different seasons for men and women. Yeah. Totally. Absolutely. It's very contextual. It's very environmental. And that's a lie we're told that sex is natural and easy. And Mm -hmm. it's dependent on how hot somebody is or how much you like them. When in reality, it's very dependent on, you know, how much stress you have and um, how you're managing the responsibilities in your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah, it's so nuanced. Because I think what can happen is if you are a woman, I think there's also a lot of my girlfriends in my life have high sex drives and higher sex drives than their partners. And they feel ashamed about it because they've been taught their whole lives from culture and the church that women don't want to have sex. And this is just some chore you have to do. And they're like, is something wrong with me? Is something wrong with my husband or my partner? Because I have more of a sex drive than him. And then he's feeling shame because she has more sex drive. And what he's been told from culture in the church is that you're right. I didn't think about it in the sense of it always leaves someone out, but that's true. Yeah. Yeah. That happens a lot in my practice. And something that I really want to push back against is that I would say, I'm not going to put a number on it, but a big percentage of the women that I see say, I have a higher sex drive than my partner. And and lots of times it's a male partner. Like Mm -hmm. what is wrong with me? Mm -hmm. And that's really sad. Yeah, it is. No one knows what you're looking for in a doctor better than you. And no one's better at giving you the tools to find the perfect doctor than ZocDoc. The people who created ZocDoc identified the problems with healthcare and said enough. And now booking a great doctor is surprisingly pain-free. ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them. You can read up on local doctors, get verified patient reviews, and see what other real humans had to say about their visit. On their site, you can choose a time slot and whether you want to see the doctor in person or do a video visit. And just like that, you're booked with someone in your network who gets you. I use ZocDoc because it has taken the stress out of my doctor visits. Go to ZocDoc.com slash cat and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then start your research for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash cat, K-A-T, ZocDoc.com slash cat. 
All right. Speaking of female pleasure, next question is, are there any vibrators you'd recommend for a newbie? Yay. So you know that I am the sex educator for the Velvet Box. And so I'm happy always to recommend the Velvet Box is a great place to shop for vibrators. If you have never had one, the greatest place to start is with a clitoral vibrator, which is just like, it looks like a small kind of like bullet shaped vibrator. And it's really, it doesn't look like a penis. It's not phallic looking. It's just a small, you know, piece of equipment with a rotator inside. And so that's the best place to start if you own a vulva because it is used mostly externally. And we know, and you mentioned this earlier, that most vulva owners have their first and most of their orgasms through clitoral stimulation or stimulation on the outside. So find a clitoral stimulator and start using it like on your thighs or with your leggings on or with underwear on um, and move in towards your clitoris over time um, so that you can get used to how it feels. But that's definitely the first place to begin. Yeah. I'll just get specific of one that I really like. It's a Dame product and mm-hmm. it's called the Ava. It's a clitoral. It's they're tiny. They're, they're little, like yeah. I, you're listening to the podcast right now. I'm trying to think of like how big it is. Like I don't know. It's like uh, a like a matchbox kind of like the size of a yeah. matchbox maybe or matchbox. Yeah. Like smaller than a clementine. <laughs> Smaller yes. than a clementine orange, like <laughs> half that size. They're small and it's it's like unthreatening. And yeah. and yeah, I mean, a whole other conversation that I had for so long was like, oh my gosh, if I ever use a sex toy, like I'm going to hell. Or mm. if I use that when I'm single, then oh my gosh, that's like extra sinful. Mm-hmm. So it was definitely like a journey for me to explore like my body. And I have a whole series on the podcast we can link in the show notes about like why I believe like self-pleasure can be like a really beautiful thing. So before yeah. we get into a TED talk about that, that's another conversation. <laughs> that you did so well on, by the way. I loved that series, that no, two-part thanks. series. Yeah. Oh, thank you. All right. Next question is, how do I even go about learning sex and becoming good at it? Oh, what a great question. What a big question. It's a long process that doesn't end. And I think that's Mm -hmm. a misnomer that we often think. Um, I I literally did a podcast right before getting on um, this podcast with you. And the podcaster asked me like, so are you an expert? And I was like, no. Like uh, it would be unethical and unpractical of me not to take my own advice to continue to educate myself about sex, right? So first Mm. of all, know that it's a process that doesn't end. And second of all, like start with what's accessible to you. If reading a book feels like the best, you know, for you that feels comfortable and not intimidating, start with a book. Come as you are is a great place to start. Um, And then if you want to, you know, have a conversation with a provider or join an educational place like omgs.com or something like that. Um, Those are great places to learn more about your body and about sex. There's also a a resource called sexpositivefamilies.com. And it has amazing resources about sex that will probably feel not intimidating. So just start with what feels the most accessible to you and then go from there. Yeah. Yeah. I think I love how you word that because... I think we think, or I'll make a personal, I think I thought for a long time, like, you just have to be good at it, (laughs) you know, like, and, you know, you see in the movies, or I think even just hookup culture, or like sex hookup culture, one night stands, casual sex, something that has like always felt hard to me about that is like, 
you are two perfect strangers. Like you're supposed to like perform and have like hot fire sex the first time. And if it's not there, then that person's not a good partner. Mm. Like what if you like different things? And I haven't had sex, but I remember I dated a guy years ago and I really liked him. And when we finally kissed, it was like very anticlimactic and it wasn't good. Mm -hmm. Oh, like who's a bad kisser in their late 20s? You know, like what's wrong (laughs) with this guy? But I really liked him. And up until that point, if I had ever kissed a guy and it wasn't good, I would have been like, oh, we just aren't compatible. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, I really like this person. Let's just like see how this plays out. And we dated for a few months and we just got to learn each other yeah, and talk about it and be like, oh, I, oh my gosh, I really like it when you kiss me like this or wow, this like makes me feel so excited. And by the time we stopped dating, our physical chemistry was so amazing. And I can only think that like sex life would be similar to that of like, oh, like why would I expect myself to know how to run a marathon if I haven't even ever run a mile? Yeah. <laughs> It's so true. And it goes back to that idea that sex is natural. And Mm -hmm. listen, guys, I would not have a job if I thought sex was not a learned skill. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a learned skill. So I really push back against this idea of like sexual compatibility. Sexual compatibility is your ability to negotiate your own wants, needs, and desires. That is it. It's Mm -hmm. not like we just start from the very beginning and we're just like, you know, we just know each other so well. It happens like, no, every two people come to the table with different ideas about what they like, what they don't like, how much they want to have sex, how little they want to have sex, when they want to have sex with what kind of arousal, right? Every two people, there is no two people on earth who come to the table with the same amount of, with the same set of desires. And so sex is always a negotiation and it's always something that we are continuing to learn. Mm, I love that sex is a negotiation. An experience that I had recently is I dated a guy just for a month. It was in December and we had that fire chemistry. Mm. Like from the first, very first kiss, like we literally kissed and we both backed up and we go, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, oh my gosh. Like whatever it is, like we have it. And we just had so much fun kissing. And I was just like, oh my gosh. Like, and I realized dating him and kissing him that I had this narrative that every guy I've ever dated, I've had insane, awesome chemistry with. Mm Mm-hmm. Then I like paused and I was like, well, is that really true? And then I wrote down a list of every single guy I've ever been with. (laughs) Yes. And there were two guys out of several dozen. (laughs) (laughs) I'm 36. I've, you know, dated a lot. That's fine. And I was like, oh, interesting. Like I have this belief, this narrative Mm. that's like, it has to be like this. Even though when I identified that belief in December, I had dated that guy years ago where it wasn't that good and then it got better. And I realized, oh, actually the exception to the rule is instant compatibility. So good, Kat. That is the exception to the rule. Mm. The rule, Mm -hmm. yeah. So, and then the one last thing I'll say is I had uh, this guy, Ian Ferguson on my podcast in the fall and he said, sex is natural, but making love is an art. Like it's a freaking Mm -hmm. skill that if you want to be an artist, you got to be committed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. Sex is creative and creativity is an exploration. And that's why like hard rules around sex don't work 
because sex is an exploration where you're going to F it up. You're going to mess up. You're going to, you know, not do it well. And so having these really strict, like ways in which you think about sex, that's why it doesn't work. Because if you're waiting for perfection, you're leaving out all of this room for erotic creativity. Oh, that is so good, Celeste. <laughs> oh, say it again. All right. What sex positions tend to be more pleasurable for people with vaginas? Hmm, or is the, so is the better way to say that question, people with vulvas? Well, people with vaginas, people with vulvas, they, they, they both kind of mean the same thing. Um, mm. I typically talk more about vulvas because that's where your pleasure anatomy is. You have mm. your vagina is more of a reproductive anatomy and your vulva is more of a pleasure anatomy, specifically your clitoris. And so I tend to say vulva owners because I am, uh, you know, a sex educator, not an OB-GYN. So really any position that feels good to you, <laughs> you know, positions historically that help you get clitoral stimulation are going to be better. So things like cowgirl position where you're on, if you are in a a cis-hetero relationship where you're on top of a penis owner and can touch your own vagina or doggy style where your penis owner is behind you and you or your partner can touch your did I say vagina just then? I meant vulva or clitoris. So any anytime that you can feel good in that position, either touching yourself or your partner touching you, that's that's the position for you, you know? And, yeah. and everybody's just kind of different. Yeah. I think I remember, maybe this was on our sex ed workshop. You had said Karma Sutra that has like, you know, hundreds of different positions. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's these like basic positions that like, these are mm-hmm. kind of the ones that most people do. Like, can you... Do you remember the ones I'm talking about? Yes, I do. There's five basic positions that most people engage in sexually. And so for the purposes of this, we're kind of talking about heterosexual relationships. Mm -hmm. But the five positions are missionary, which is a penis owner on top, cowgirl, which is a vulva owner on top, more in the sitting position, like sitting on top. Reverse cowgirl is the same, but she is facing the penis owner's feet. Doggy Mm -hmm. style, which is penis owner is behind entering the vagina, not the anus from behind. And 69, which isn't a vaginally penetrative position, but it is um, where oral sex is happening at the same time. Mm -hmm. I would say there's also this sideline position is also pretty common, especially if you have more limitations on weight or on pain or things like that. Sideline is a great position for pregnant people, that kind of thing. And so that would be either facing each other or a penis owner being behind a vulva owner and entering that way. Like laying down? Laying down. Mm -hmm. Laying down. On your side. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like spooning, essentially. Got it. Okay. And the next question is, I feel like there's like some questions underneath this question, but what advice would you give for couples who have very different sexual experiences? Do you, Kat, do you think that question is like sexual education or like people who have different sexual... I'm not sure what that question means. <laughs> I was reading that earlier. I didn't know. What I hear in that question, and I could be wrong, but what I sense is one person maybe has had like a lot of sex or has had Mm -hmm. a lot of sexual experience. Mm -hmm. And one person is maybe coming to the relationship either a virgin or, in their opinion, way less sexually experienced than the other person. So is there shame over that? Like, man, I don't know what, what they know. And how do you maybe even talk about that? Or what do you do when one partner is like, wow, like, I've never given a blowjob. And the other person's like, well, I've had a thousand. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Got it. Thank you for clarifying that because I wasn't sure. So like 
sexual experience as in um, more sexual partners or things like that had more sex or something Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, This comes up a lot when we talk with clients who don't have a lot of sexual experience. Mm -hmm. This comes up like, well, what is a future partner going to think that I don't have a lot of sexual experience? And I would just like to say most of them don't care that much. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like you probably care more than that person does because sex is a negotiation between these two individual people. And it will always be different regarding Mm -hmm. who you're having sex with. It's always going to be different. So it's not like I've had sex with 10 or 20 or a hundred people. And so, you know, now I'm expecting that same exact experience with you as an individual. Mm -hmm. Like that's just not it at all. So typically people who've had a lot of sexual experiences don't really care if you have or hadn't because it's still a new experience with you. Yeah. And sometimes that can be helpful. <laughs> yeah. And I think what I hear in that is shame. Mm-hmm. It's just, man, first of all, whatever you have or haven't done, you're fine. Yeah. Like there's no shame if you have had a ton of sexual partners and there's no shame if you haven't. Like there's no shame. Well, before I say that, I think one of the bigger questions is what's the purpose of sex? Mm-hmm. Is mm-hmm. sex about performance? Mm-hmm. Is sex about doing it right? Is sex about getting him off as fast as possible? Is sex about you being this sex goddess who knows everything innately and knows all the different positions and has memorized Fifty Shades of Grey, which is mm-hmm. such a... Yes. Yes. Thank Way you. Sex. I'm oh, like, thank you. I watched that movie in the theaters and I was laughing. I'm like, Dakota Johnson for sure has a UTI. And she's like, <laughs> never had sex. And then all of a sudden is having like all this sex in two days. I'm like, she has UTI. Like 100%. We don't want to talk about that. But I think what I think about sex, and I think this is an important question for every person to answer is to answer individually. And then as a couple, like, what are we looking for in sex? Am I looking for orgasm? Am I mm-hmm. looking for pleasure? Am I looking for intimacy? Am I looking for a connection? Am I looking for playfulness? Mm-hmm. And you get to decide, oh, this is what I'm looking for. Like, this is what this is to me. Mm-hmm. And then you and your partner get to decide, this is what it is for us. And then as you're saying, like the negotiation, well, now it's like, okay, if sex isn't just about him getting off or me getting off, but it's about connection, then it's like, oh, well, we can throw the pressure of orgasm off the table and we can just have fun. We can give each other massages or look into each other's eyes and then we can touch each other or we can have penetrative sex or not have penetrative sex. Mm -hmm. Like if the goal is more than orgasm and like mechanics, then I think the world opens up to what a beautiful sex life could be. I'm like, I have nothing to add, Kat. That was really (laughs) great. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think you are. I was just saying in my head, like, Kat's future partner is going to be so freaking lucky. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Did you single guys hear that? That's right. All those single guys. <laughs> All the single men, of the two single guys that listen to my stuff. Why aren't you asking me out? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Yep. So next question, I love that someone sent this in. How can you make sex fun after you've had kids? Yeah. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. we know that responsibility is the biggest killer of arousal. And having kids is one of, you know, many different things that can be 
or feel very stressful and Mm -hmm. just feels like a lot of responsibility. Because if we think about eroticism on one side and responsibility on the other, they are pretty opposite. So eroticism is really like a healthy sense of irresponsibility because creativity is a little irresponsible. You have to take risks. You have to be vulnerable. You have to take chances. Whereas responsibility is really not taking risks. Like Mm -hmm. I am responsible to this thing and I'm going to do it, see it through. So they are kind of the opposite of each other. One thing that can help is to know that it won't always be like that. Like eventually your kids will sleep through the night and you'll have more time or you have more resources, hopefully to hire babysitters so you can have a date night and connect emotionally before you're required or, or asking of your body to connect physically. Um, and I'm a big advocate for intentional sexuality. Mm-hmm. I don't mean scheduled sex. I don't mean, you know, we're going to bang it out every Tuesday at 9:30. Mm-hmm. I do mean we're going to have an intentional conversation about how to place sex as a priority in our week. Like, okay, you're home on Thursday. You have, you're not working a shift on Thursday at noon. Like, can we carve out an hour to just hop in bed and carve out some sensual time together? And so that takes some of the pressure off trying to fit it in, in a margin that doesn't exist. Like if we wait for sex to happen in the margins of our life, when we are kind of overwhelmed with parenting, parenthood, it's not going to easily happen. And that's where the frustration is. Instead of we're just not having sex, it's just not easy. Like having to work at sex feels like the wrong thing because we're taught Mm -hmm. that sex again is natural and easy, Mm -hmm. but working at sex means you're doing something right. So intentional sexuality is something that I talk to a lot of people about a lot. I don't know. This is just how I'm receiving what you just said. It seems like you have an aversion to scheduled sex, but it seems like what you just explained was scheduling sex. I know, right? So (laughs) uh, people in general have really hard reactions when you say scheduling sex. So intentional sexuality is a continued conversation. It Mm -hmm. isn't like we're going to do it at all costs, no matter what, because then you're having, somebody's having sex they don't want to be having. And that's not Mm. what I'm encouraging. What I'm encouraging is what we call sexual resilience, which is when it comes to Thursday and you and I are both showing up here, but I've eaten too many breadsticks. I'm too bloated to have sex right now. We together learn how to sexually pivot well. And that's what Mm. scheduled sex doesn't give you. Scheduled, it feels really rigid where intentional just means we have this continued conversation. So we pivot well, meaning either we pivot to a different day or we, like I say, you know what, I'm not really into sex right now, but if if you want, I can give you a hand job or you can come on my skin or on my breasts or something that feels comfortable for you. Mm-hmm. And that feels comfortable for me. So I'm not engaging in something I don't want to engage in. I don't feel like penetrative sex right now, but how about this other thing? We're pivoting well. And mm-hmm. so intentional sex built in with sexual pivoting gives you sexual resilience. And that's something that will help you have a long, pleasurable, connective sex life over the course of time. What I hear you saying is by talking about intentional sex as opposed to scheduled sex, it's all it's removing obligation yes, and pressure. That's right. And I think it's and I maybe I just say especially for women because I'm a woman, but, but I feel in the church and Christian culture women are told, you better keep your husband sexed up. It doesn't matter if you're tired, if you haven't, you know, taken a shower, you better get yourself ready because if you don't, he's going to, he's going to run around on you. Like he needs this more than you. Mm. And I think what a problematic and toxic 
message that mm-hmm. millions and millions of women have received from the church and and let's be real culture at large too yeah, i mean i agree I, I believe that culture and the church, like the church loves to be high and mighty and think that we're so different. (laughs) We're so (laughs) countercultural. But I'm like, wait a second. No, in the church and in culture, primarily we're taught that sex revolves around male pleasure. Mm -hmm. Like it's what we see everywhere. And as opposed to what you're talking about, how can we negotiate? How can we talk about this together? How can we communicate? It's, I mean, everything you're saying is I'm like, oh my gosh, I think I've even realized with myself, like I would be like making out with a guy and for such a long time, I was like, it felt weird if I should say anything. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like I had to be silent during mm-hmm. and just like silently enjoying it or like, you know, moaning quietly or something. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was like making out with a guy and he was like, oh man, I really like this or I feel so connected to you. And I was like, why is he talking? That's so weird. <laughs> Stop talking. <laughs> Stop talking. Yeah. Like that's awkward and embarrassing. And I got to reflect on that and be like, why is that? Why mm-hmm. do I feel like I'm not supposed to talk? Like, why do I feel that that's weird? And I look at those experiences and I'm like, wow, like now I like talking. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, this is fun. Like, oh, I love kissing you. Or, oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah. like you yeah. are so hot right now. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Totally. You know? And I, 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 to your point of it being societal, like that is what we see. The thing about this, you guys, the only sex we ever see is performed. Mm-hmm. And so like, unlike anything else, we see driving, we see cooking, we're modeled all of these other behaviors. So we know what normalized cooking looks like. We know what normalized eating or normalized driving looks like. We have no idea what people are normally doing in their sex lives. Mm. None. And so we take these cues, these social cues from the movies we watch, the porn we watch, whatever it is that we're watching, we're, we're consuming. And that makes us think, I need to moan in sex. Mm-hmm. I need to sound a certain way. I need to look a certain way because we see sex performed. But in reality, sex is intended to be experienced, mm-hmm. not performed. Yeah. And so it's like moving in that direction. So like your story is a beautiful example of moving from like, I'm performing it to like, no, I'm like, I'm in it. I'm experiencing mm-hmm. it. And it feels really good. Yeah. I wanted to tell you a funny story that you reminded me of when you told me that story about kissing is when I was, I think I was in college, I had a boyfriend who would say my name sometimes if we were making out and I would always stop and be like, what? <laughs> I, what? What? Yeah. What's up? Yeah. Did you need something? <laughs> like, uh, what's going on? What do you need? And like, we had to have this conversation. He's like, oh, I just like, kind of like saying your name. Like you don't have to <laughs> respond every time. So amazing. So amazing. He's like, no, I just like, like your name. I just like it. <laughs> Way to kill the mood, Celeste. I was definitely I too nerdy, too it's nerdy. Like, the boner's gone. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, well, mine was gone long before because you said my name. And I thought, said, I, thought I needed to do something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. We have time for one more question and I'm going to give you a couple topics and you decide which we're going to answer. Okay. Okay. Hookups, oral sex, porn, or what to do with your sexuality when you're single. Oh man, I'm debating between hookups and oral sex. <laughs> I think we kind of talked about porn a little bit in a, in the media yeah. way. Uh-huh. I think everybody needs to read your book about what to do with your sexuality when you're single. So, Love it. okay, let's do oral sex. Let's do okay. oral sex. 
Okay. Let's do so it, Kat. Let's do it. <laughs> I love the way you describe oral sex. That's it's so helpful. And also in our in our sex workshops, like we go through you go through this a lot more. Okay, so there's two questions. I I'm going to read them both and just kind of have you answer. Okay. Okay. Oral sex. Mike, wedding is in a few months and it sounds like they've waited for all everything until marriage and my fiance is looking forward to oral sex. I feel awkward about it because I don't know how to do it and I also don't know what to expect when he does it to me. And then the other question is, I'm waiting until marriage to have penetrative sex, but what about oral sex? I'm 36 and horny. And no, I did not submit that question. <laughs> <laughs> so cat, let's talk. And horny. Hey. hey, that's all right. I'm forty and horny. Oh, that kind of rhymes. I like oh, forty that. and horny. Forty and horny. I don't think I've ever said that on podcast. So you're <laughs> you're the first. <laughs> you're the first. I love it. So let's talk about the first one. I feel awkward about oral sex because mm-hmm. I've never done it. Of course you do. Putting a penis in your mouth feels awkward (laughs) for a long time. And that is okay. That's the process of learning sex. What I'd love for you to consider is going slow. Like you don't have to do everything or anything on your wedding night. Lots of times I'll be um, in session with couples who have saved a few activities, you know, for their wedding night. And I'm a very big advocate of it's okay if you just want to like sleep and then Mm. try all of these first time experiences when you are rested and when you have the time to talk and go slow and consider and things like that. So many people have rough first sexual experiences after their wedding because they are tired or maybe they've been drinking or they are super stressed, right? Mm -hmm. So it's okay if you go slow. It's okay if you um, talk about that you are nervous about it. Oral sex is one of those things that a lot of people, especially vulva owners, have have shame around because we have Mm -hmm. shame around our own genitalia. And society's not great about this telling us or encouraging women Purity culture is not at all great about encouraging women about their vulva. So we're all given these awful messages that our that our vulvas smell, that they don't taste good, that they look bad, that they should have less hair. Like we get lots of negative messaging around our vulva. Mm-hmm. So oral sex is traditionally for vulva owners somewhat harder than mm-hmm. penetrative sex. So, you know, remember that that feeling of awkwardness may be caused by, you know, shame or some of those messaging. So undoing that messages prior to marriage could be really helpful or working on deconstructing those messages. What do you, do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, man, I think that was so good. And a a couple of things that came up for me is only do oral sex if you really want to. You don't have to do it if you're not ready, period, the end. And to your point about women receiving oral sex, what I have heard from so many people I've talked to, because I am that girl that asks for details from everyone I know, is for a lot of my girlfriends, receiving oral sex is way more intimate than penetrative sex. Mm -hmm. Because of everything that you just mentioned and more, for a woman to fully surrender and feel safe enough for someone to go down on her is so intimate and so sacred. And it takes, I think for a woman to really enjoy that, it takes her, like you have to be completely, you have to be out of your head and your body mm-hmm. and really trusting of that person you're with because 
as women, we're not taught to surrender and receive. We're taught to take care of everyone, do everything for everyone all at once. And so to be in a posture where you feel you can totally come undone, Mm -hmm. what a beautiful space. And I think for me, that's why I think one of the best spaces to be in that is in a loving relationship where you feel safe and secure. Because otherwise, like, oh, does that smell? And oh, does he, is he going to like this? That's right. And then in regards to giving oral sex, what I, what I have been told by men and women is it's sexy when you ask us what we like. Mm-hmm. So ask him what he likes. Mm-hmm. Show me what you like. What feels good to you? I want to please you. And it doesn't have to be like, oh, I've never done this before. I'm scared. It can be that if that's how you're feeling, but it can also be sexy to be like, hey, like your body turns me on and like, show me what you like. Like, I want to do this in a way that like turns you on and pleases you. So show me how you like it. Show me with your hands. How do you like touching yourself? Mm -hmm. I think that's sexy for both parties. I think guys want to know, how do you want to be pleased? Mm -hmm. Show me. Mm -hmm. Um, which gets again into the conversation of like self-pleasure and knowing your body and the beauty and power of being able to say, this is what feels good. And now I can communicate that. So I think that with like oral sex and really any sexual experience, like it's sexy to ask someone what they like. You don't have to read their mind. That's not the, the goal here isn't mind reading. The goal here is connection and intimacy. That's right. This was so fun. I just want to talk to you all the time about all this stuff. I know. I really do too. Yay. <laughs> Bye. I love these sex ed Q&A conversations with doctors Les Tolbrook. I feel like we could do these every week and I would have so much fun. So let me know how you enjoy these episodes. If you have follow-up questions, reach out at The Refined Collective on Instagram or at The Refined Woman and slide into the DMs and let's have a combo. And I do realize that there's one aspect of the oral sex question we did not answer live. And that was from the girl who's like, uh, I'm 36 and horny, like, I'm saving sex until marriage, but can I have oral sex? Friend, that is a question that I cannot answer for you. It it sounds like a lot of people come to me wanting permission about what they can and can't do in their dating relationships and physical boundaries. And I just want to put that ball back into your court. What is your sexual ethic? How do you define sex? What are the boundaries that feel good for you, feel in alignment with your values and and what you're wanting and give yourself permission to navigate that conversation. I just can't answer that for you. It would be so much easier if I did tell you a black and white rule and to-do list. But if there's anything I have learned from Christian culture and purity culture is that those to-do lists don't work. They disregard your heart. So my big invitation to you is to pause, get curious about your own story, about your own why, and then from there, from a grounded place, make a decision about what your boundaries are and how you want to move forward. And remember, at any point in the story, you are allowed to unpack, doubt, deconstruct, question, and change your mind. All right, friends, until our next sex ed convo, I will talk to you soon.